Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as Pastor Dane Skelton shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Dane. Mark and uh, praise team, thank you. That was the best gift you could have given me. You also wiped me out, so... Singing those songs and raising my hands, boy, just I'm already up here blubbering, so try to do my best not to uh, ruin the effect here with that. This is really not a helpful cue. <laughs> I sometimes worry that, you know, we've not, I, as a pastor, you always worry, have I done enough? Have we, have we adjusted? Have we adapted to the times? And Every time I see Desiree behind that drum set, I think, we were one of the first with a lady drummer. So, you know, that's cutting edge enough for me. I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. And I've been preaching from Hebrews 13 because it was the best closing remarks. It was a compilation of many different closing remarks and that seemed to add it all up enough, the best for me. And so I just want to begin this morning with a smattering of final exhortations that are given to congregations and leaders in the New Testament. I'm going to start with 2 Peter, and I'll end with our passage here in Hebrews. 2 Peter 2, beginning in verse 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Peter goes on in that same vein all the way through chapter 2 down into chapter 3, and he concludes in verse 17 of chapter 3. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then John, writing in the fourth chapter of his letter, his first letter, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then Paul's well-known address to the Ephesian elders, when he was on his way back to Jerusalem, he asked them to come down from Ephesus and meet him in Miletus. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. And then finally, one more before Hebrews. Titus chapter 1, verse 10 for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. 
And now let's go to Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 9. He starts with, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. The special concern of the writer to the Hebrews was that as Hebrew believers in Jesus, and this goes all the way through the book, they were being tempted to return to Judaism, to the law, and to all of the rituals and the ceremonies associated with that. And that is why he begins by warning against all kinds of strange teachings, diverse teachings, is how it's uh, translated in other places. And then he zeroes in on the rituals and the practices associated with temple worship. He says, do not be carried away. Now, 21st century church leaders and believers will face different strange teachings, but the exhortation remains the same. Be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Be alert. Silence false teachers who are leading people astray. Command certain people not to teach false doctrines. He said, Paul said that to Timothy, and do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. When you look at them together like that, you see that there has always been, from the beginning of the church, a deep and crit critical concern for sound doctrine and an imperative to protect it. And there are two reasons for that. Number one, it is the gospel, it is the truth revealed from God. Anything else is not the gospel. Jesus, answering a question from Thomas, said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And again, answering Pilate right before his crucifixion, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So the reason this has to be protected is because it is the gospel. The truth from God, revealed from God, it cannot be known any other way except by the revelation that we have in this book. Anything else is not the gospel. 
The second reason that the doctrine has to be protected is because false teaching destroys whole households. That's what Paul said to Titus and draws people away from God. So as you can imagine, I have been praying and thinking a lot about all the things that I might talk to you as a congregation about on my last sermon as FCC's pastor. And there I have, believe me, I have 24 years worth of topics to talk to you about. But as I prayed and as I thought and as I meditated my way through the New Testament and through these sayings and these speeches that Paul and Peter and John and the writer of the Hebrews made to the churches of that day, of all the things that we could talk about, being carried away by all kinds of strange teachings is on my mind as much as it was on the minds of the leaders of the first church. And the reason that it concerns me is because it is so subtle, because strange teachings and diverse teachings are so subtle and the way that they come into churches are so subtle. Forty years ago, 1983, 84, 85, so something around there, almost 40 years ago, sitting in a classroom with my favorite professor, Dr. L.R. Barnard, and he's telling this group of young men, I, I feel badly for you guys, because he was in his late 60s, pushing 70 at that time. He said, I feel badly because you guys are going, you men are going to face doctrinal error and false teachings and heresies that have not been faced by the church since the first three centuries. That's where the West is going. That's where the church in the West is going. <clears throat> Let me give you an example of the subtlety of the way that this works into congregations. John Buchma, who was a pastor in Illinois, said, Our church rented a theater to watch The Passion of the Christ on its opening weekend in 2004. Afterward, we gathered for prayer, discussion, and dinner. Now, let me just ask, have you ever seen The Passion of the Christ? Okay, you know what I say when it's, that's a compelling film. I, I, I watched it once. That's all I could take, but it was enough. He said, when I got home that night and I opened my mail, the first letter was from a local church inviting me to visit their special community. And they listed the ways that they were unique. There's no religious dogma. We encourage the freedom of individual thought and belief, a humanist view of life. Our faith is based on celebrating the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Sounds appealing. Second, warm, accessible services. Our Sunday services typically include a mix of readings, music, moments of meditation or contemplation, and a sermon. Third, our children's religious education program. We teach our kids to be accepting of different beliefs and the importance of each person seeking his or her own truth. They study the world's major religions and draw on the core values of each faith tradition. So if you're looking for a congregation that cherishes, cherishes freedom of belief and opinion with a warm sense of community and fellowship, please visit us. Buchma says, I had watched the horrific suffering of Jesus, and I had heard him say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Hours later, I opened an invitation to visit a group where truth doesn't matter. It's only your truth or my truth or somebody else's truth. And he said the, contrasting was, the contrast was overwhelming. So here's the thing. Usually, it isn't that obvious. Usually, when false teaching comes into a church, it's not that obvious. What he was reading was probably from a Unitarian Universalist church where the name accurately describes the theology. The problem with that is that churches, Christian churches, churches with crosses on the front of all types, all over the country, all over the Western world, wanting not to be despised by a culture that is rapidly moving away from revealed objective truth of God and the gospel, often unconsciously adopt universalism or its modern equivalent, moralistic therapeutic deism, which I have explained to you guys before, but since I know there's some visitors here, moralistic, this is what sociologist Christian Smith discovered in a research project with UNC North Carolina um, University several years ago. These were, this was the theology of teens. When he studied it, it is now the theology of 30-somethings. Moralistic, that means God, there is, there's a right and a wrong. Therapeutic, right and wrong depends on how I feel about it or how it makes me feel. Deism, there is a God and he just wants us to be good and he wants us to be happy. That's just Unitarian Universalism in a different set of vocabulary. That's all it is. So pastors, elders, district bishops, and the like have not been, as Paul instructed his disciples, silencing and refuting such teachings. Many have tried and have been booted out of office. Many others have refused to do so because they did not want conflict. They did not want to hurt feelings. They were afraid a major donor would withdraw support or they didn't believe sound doctrine in the first place, or if it was a solo pastor like I've been for so many years, um, they didn't have another way to support their family. I was talking to Joshua Waltman, who you guys know, Joshua Waltman, uh, actually back before COVID hit. And Joshua studies a lot, and he knows a lot about the church and a lot about where the church is probably going in the next 20 years in this country. He said, I don't believe that small churches are going to be able to afford full-time pastors much longer. He said, I think they're going to require bivocational pastors. I hope that that's not true. I hope that FCC will always be able to support a pastor and his family to be full-time. But here's what I will say. One of the things that gave me the freedom to operate the way that I have operated for all these years is because... I could turn wrenches. I knew how to make a living without having to uh, be a preacher or be a pastor somewhere. There are hundreds of thousands of men out there who don't know how to do anything else. So I pray that you will be able to support them and I pray that they will be able to find ways to support themselves so that, that they can afford to stand strong and tell the truth when they need to do it. So of all the things that, uh, if we wonder why American Christians are embracing so many things that seem anathema 
to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, this is why. And those churches are dying. And the Lord is removing his lampstand from those congregations that are departing from truth. So of all the things that concern me about FCC's future, sound doctrine is the biggest one. And it's not because of the leaders who are here now. I know these men. I know all of you guys. And I know how committed you are to sound doctrine. But because of people that may come, and because it's so subtle, so how do we protect the church from becoming involved in all kinds of strange teachings and ideas? Well, just practically, we, we need to be very alert and savvy to what is going on in the culture around us. Mark Frankovich has a website called culturewatch.com, and he explains, you know, there is a Christian speaking circuit just like there is a secular motivational speaking circuit. And the circuit has no formal structure like a football league. It's kind of like an exclusive network or an old boys club. And he said people, young guys in the club sweat blood to be allowed into that circuit. And these wannabes practice hard and they desperately seek in-circuit patrons because the financial wards are significant. Revenue flows in four ways from sales of products, from special love offerings taken for the speaker, from various perks, and from the formal payments or honorariums for speaking. Not all visiting church speakers are on the circuit. The difference is in the amount of money their visit extracts. There's nothing wrong with a speaker's flights and accommodation being paid for, along with receiving a fair payment for his time. But if the amounts are excessive and the perks extravagant, then that's an unacceptable waste of the Lord's money. And of course, the hosting pastor then gets a cut of the same treatment later on from the, from the visiting speaker's church, including a big fat love offering. One of the things that I'll just stop and report to you here, if you may not know this, is that we have had for many years a kind of unofficial set of policy guidelines that these things are not in the handbook, they're not written in stone. But you've noticed over the years that FCC doesn't do a lot of special collections or special offerings. We try to, try to budget for what we, doing, what we do. This is one of the reasons why so that we don't get drawn into stuff like this. When Billy Graham founded the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, he wrote, and this would have been in the late 1950s or early 1960s, he wrote what is now known as the Modesto Manifesto, because he was in Modesto, California, leading a revival, when he, uh, a crusade when he wrote it. He was trying to correct one of the symptoms and problems of revival ministries that had been going on for 50 years or so before his. And one of those was what this fellow just described right here. Guys would go into a place and the more they could crank the crowd up, the bigger the offering was. And so Graham set up a system where the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, all the gifts went into that. And then whoever worked for the association was paid a standard salary and that's all they got. That's why he did it that way. As long as there has been a gospel, there have been religious hucksters. This goes all the way back. There's one of Paul's letters where he said some people are just doing, preaching the gospel for, for personal gain. So don't fall for that stuff. The first way we can protect the, the purity of the gospel, the truth, 
as it's proclaimed at FCC, is just be savvy and be alert. Don't get carried away by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. The second way that we can practically protect ourselves from this is be sure your leaders are properly qualified. Be sure your leaders are biblically qualified. Look at the way that Paul addressed this in Titus chapter 1. Just have to turn back past Hebrews. The first book you run into is Titus, Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he gives the qualifications for elders, which are understandably their moral and ethical qualifications, their character as men. But jump on away, all the way down to verse 9 and see what this says. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Titus, here's the reason you and the overseers you appoint need to be morally upright, doctrinally sound, sober, self-controlled men who know how to handle the revealed truths in the gospel and manage others well. Here's the reason. You have many serious troublemakers in that church, and you absolutely must stop them. In that letter to Titus, Paul calls them, if you look down in verse 10, rebellious people. I want to dive into that a little bit. Let me see verse 10. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers, and there's that word, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. The word rebellious people... I want to dive into this because it's going to tie into where we're going later in Hebrews 13, verse 17, where he talks about obeying leaders. Rebellious leaders, uh, people rather, is the Greek word anupatoktos. Anupatoktos. Anu is above. Patoktos is to rule over. Think of potentate. Our word is close to that. Patoktos is to rule over. So he's above anyone who would rule over him. Think about Edmund in the Chronicles of Narnia. This is how, what I mean about it being subtle. Edmund was supposed to do what in the Chronicles of Narnia? He was supposed to do what his older brother Peter told him to do because his mom put Peter in charge. But Edward was above all that. It's like the white, the white queen's uh, dwarf said to Edmund, You're a special boy. You're special. Men and women, we live in a whole world, a whole culture right now where everybody thinks they are a special boy or a special girl. People like this consider themselves to be above all rule and authority. They are an authority to them, unto themselves, especially when it comes to interpreting the scriptures. They refuse to subordinate themselves to anyone or indeed to the gospel, the trustworthy message as it has been taught. We began the Alpha course here several years ago. I think it was in 2009, several years ago. And one of the great things about the Alpha course is that the, in the Alpha course, we invite people into a room just in an environment just like this who have never had any exposure possibly to the gospel at all, and they've, if they have, it's been negative. And so they're free to just say anything and ask any question that they want to, and all we're going to do is say, wow, that's interesting. They can say the craziest off-the-wall 
out of the world, left field, heretical stuff, and the only response they're going to get from us is, wow, that's really interesting. Where did you get that? How did you come to that conclusion? Why are we doing, why do we do it that way? Because people, if they're, now they're not like all of you, but a lot like me, if they're, most people are a lot like me in that we don't know what we think, what we actually think about something until we've said it out loud half a dozen times. And get it out there in the open in a place where it's comfortable and uh, we feel safe to express those things. And it's only then sometimes that we begin to analyze, you know, do I really believe that or not? That is perfect for the Alpha Course because the Alpha Course, before anybody ever has that discussion, Nikki Gumbel or the presenters explain the whole gospel in the clearest most brilliant fashion I think I've ever seen done. So they've got the gospel. That's evangelism. That is not the same thing as discipleship. That is not the same thing as growing in grace and truth. If we're going to go grow in grace and truth, then there are going to be people in churches like myself and like the elders who are responsible for making sure that we are all taught correct doctrine coming from the scriptures. Early in my ministry, I visited a pastor of a startup church in Stone Mountain, Georgia. I wanted to talk to this guy because he was really good at reaching people like my drug dealer brother. And I was impressed by that. So I went to talk to him and said, look, what can you tell me about starting a church? Because at that point, I didn't know where God was going to lead me. And he said, you need to know what you are about and what you are not about. People will come in with an agenda. It may not be visible at first, but if you are not clear on what you are about, what God has called you to do, they will try to hijack the church. And I thought back over the last 24 years, and I realized that the elder board and I have had to correct or confront people in at least four serious situations like that, and several that never got a foothold because we were paying attention. Most of you never saw that stuff because we never let it get to the surface. We're just doing our jobs as pastors and elders. Only one person, one of those people was actually trying to hijack the church. The others were not. And because we did our jobs, they responded well. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 25 and 26 to give you a better feel for how this happens. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. Well, let's back up to verse 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The way that this happens is usually not intentional. People who, are, who have not grown very much in the faith will hear some new teacher or read some new book, and they'll say, oh, pastor, we should do this. Can't we do this book? It's great. 
And one of my standard replies was, let me read the book. Let me listen. Okay, and then let's talk about it later. Because people not intending to can bring error into a church. And if you as a pastor or elder are not watching out for it, or if you don't know your stuff, theologically, biblically, and theologically, you're going to respond the wrong way to it. And if you're like, if your natural fleshly tendencies, we were talking about our fleshly tendencies earlier in, in the uh, Sunday school class, if your natural fleshly tendencies are to, gee, I just want people to feel good. I just want to accommodate them. Um, my reaction would be, oh, sure. Uh, yeah, that would be wonderful. Not knowing what I was about to uncork. And so I had to learn to say, hang on, let me read that book, okay? Hang on, let me listen to that sermon or watch that video series, and then let's talk about it. FCC has, for 20 years at least, we have what's called an elder qualification process. And in that elder qualification process, I have probably, I think it's two pages of questions, two or three pages of questions on biblical knowledge, on theological knowledge, on pastoral situations that anybody that's going to serve as an elder for FCC has to be able to answer those. If they don't, I can sit down with them and I can walk them through those things in order to prepare them to serve in that way. Why do we do all that? Why have we done all that for 20 or 24 years? Because the gospel is the truth of God and there is no substitute for it. People who distort it or adulterate it or undermine it deceive whole families and draw others away from God. Only sometimes do they do it on purpose. A lot of times it's just because, oh, it sounded so good. So pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Be alert. Silence false teachers who are leading people astray. Command certain people not to teach false doctrines. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Here's what's going to happen if you do that faithfully. Let's look back in Hebrews. Sometimes you're going to have to identify with those outside the camp. In our culture today, the world is changing rapidly. And in our culture today, people who associate themselves with Jesus and say what he says is truth are more and more the people who are outside the gate. They're the people who are outside what's considered the acceptable parameters of modern day culture. And you're going to have to be okay with that. Okay. I feel like Alistair Begg. Alistair, he'll start in a sermon and he'll go, now, you guys know me well enough to know that um, I'll develop this first point ad nauseum, and then the second point shorter, and then the last point will be really short. So hang on, we're almost done. Uh, live a life of praise and good deeds, verses 15 and 16. Live a life of praise and good deeds. Songs of praise and conversation that are marked by our confession of Christ replaced animals and other means of sacrifice in the temple worship, okay? So songs of praise, just like we did this morning. Confession, telling your story, witnessing, just telling your story about how you came to Christ. 
doing acts of service. All of that took the place of the animal sacrifices in the temple. It's a way that we worship. Our lives must match our lips. Otherwise, we're just gongs and cymbals and noise with no rhythm and scales with no tune. Our lives must last, uh, match our lips. We just read from James. James chapter 2, again, in the Sunday school class. You guys are really missing great stuff when you missed that, by the way. In the same way, faith by itself, James 2, verse seven, 14, rather. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you will, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You don't know this yet, but you paid for three rooms in the Super 8 hotel for a single mom with three kids this week. Because she just called and asked for help, and she was in a bad place. Faith Community Church has been doing that for a long time. It needs to keep doing that. Evangelicals, including us, still have somewhat of a disconnect between our faith, our confession of Christ, our doctrinal statements, and service to people. We tend to think of evangelism as one thing and practical ministry as something else. And we'll spend, for example, more time and effort trying to get a friend to a Christian meeting where he'll hear the message of Jesus than we will helping that friend care for his sick mother or learn to balance his checkbook. And the two should never be divorced. I can tell you, it's a lot harder to teach some people to balance their checkbook than it is to invite them to a church meeting. I've tried. But the two should never be divorced. In fact, they're two sides of the same coin. It is as much a ministry of the gospel to go to work with Habitat for Humanity and take the couple who is going to be, a part, be your partner and own that next house and work them through the process of trying to get themselves out of unnecessary consumer debt so that they can even qualify for the minuscule payment and loan as it is to try to sit down and tell them the gospel. Nobody amened, but it is. I want to encourage you to do something. I can't tell you how to do it because it's so complicated. I have to figure it out every time I do it. Watch The Chosen. Get it on your iPad, get it on your whatever, and watch both seasons of The Chosen. I'm even, we're going to send them money really soon. I wasn't sold on this thing at first, it's the first uh, crowd-funded gospel story out there. It is so well done. Here's what you always see. You see Jesus healing people, and then you see him talking about the truth. And you see him raising somebody, uh, doing some sort of miracle, changing the water into wine, and you see him talking about the truth. You see him touching some paralytic guy, uh, some leper, and healing him, and then he's talking about the truth. The two always go together. And if we're going to have an impact in a culture that is rapidly running away from anything like gospel truth, we're going to have to keep those two things together. We've been doing a pretty good job so far. It needs to get better. 
We have a, a great relationship with Samaritan's Purse. We have a great relationship with Tri-River Habitat for Humanity. We need to crank that up. Finally, obey your leaders. Boy, that's difficult for an American to hear. Obey your leaders. I'm from the... Um, I'm from the 1970s. Don't trust anybody over authority. Question authority. Richard Nixon and all that. Americans do not like language like this because it sounds so authoritarian. The spirit of the age that has invaded all churches is the notion that everyone has their own truth. And this is where it ties in to verse 9 about being drawn away. So we treat the scriptures the way some folks treat the Constitution. The only meaning it has for us is the meaning we bring to it. But as with the Constitution, so with the scriptures. The scriptures mean what the writers meant when they wrote it. You cannot make the scriptures say something they did not say. And you cannot make the scriptures unsay something they did say. When you do, you have departed from the truth. Our task, through careful exegesis, is to discover what it meant to the original readers and bring that meaning forward 21 centuries into our day. That's called the historical, grammatical, critical method of exegesis. I'm just going to say this. If you're hearing a preacher or a speaker of some kind or other that is not doing that, don't trust what they say. Be very careful. So when, when the writer to the Hebrews says this, this is not about giving some preacher or elder all authority over every detail of your life. Some churches have done that, and that's wrong. Why do I know it's wrong? Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3. There's other places we could go, but this will do the trick. He's talking to elders. In verse 1, he's talking to elders among you. I'm a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings. Listen, verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. I have a dear friend in 19, who in 1980 got saved shortly after I did, and she joined one of those churches where the guys were doing that, and it was a horror story. So that's not what this is about. It's about preserving sound doctrine. The writer to the Hebrews has the same concern that Paul had when writing to Titus in verse 10. Remember that word? He said there are insubordinate people, anapotoktos. He's talking about people who would not listen to the duly appointed stewards of the gospel, to the doctrine of Christ, who he is, what he accomplished, and what that means. And those stewards are the elders and those approved teachers who know how to handle the word of truth. That's another thing that FCC has done over the years. Some people would say that it has caused us to be smaller than other churches. It, we're not only careful about who we appoint 
and affirm as elders. We're very careful about who we appoint and affirm as Bible teachers of any kind. And that's why. So let me give you an example of this kind of authority at work. When I went to learn how to, uh, learn how to fly, I picked a, a, a flight instructor who I knew would be very tough on me and who would teach me good flying habits. And he always did. He taught me all the good flying habits. Always launch from the end of the runway. Always strive for a stabilized approach. Always fill the tanks when you land so that you take off, you know how much gas you have. A good he said there's only three, there's three things you have to remember in flying. They're most important things. The runway behind you, the altitude beneath you, and the gas you left on the ground. Don't ever forget that. A good flight instructor teaches you best practices developed over a hundred years of flight. He teaches you those things to keep you alive. A good Bible teacher or elder uses the best interpretive practices developed over 2,000 years of church history. So I took all of that flight instruction and I went to take my exam with the guy that's called the DPE, the Designated Pilot Examiner. And I took my first test and I flunked because I couldn't navigate without a GPS. I went back to him like this, all worried about that stuff. And he asked me a question about, if you were gonna to go to XYZ airport, what would you do? And I answered it wrong. And he got up in my grill, as we say. And he said, before you ever take off to go any place, you need to study the chart of that airport and all the procedures around that airport and all the NOTAMs, they're called notices to airmen, so that you know what's going on before you get there. Otherwise, you're going to cause an accident. What was he doing? He was exercising his authority in my life as the FAA certified designated pilot examiner. He was exercising his authority. He could tell me whether or not I could fly or not. Obey your leaders. They're looking out for you. When they gently correct you, listen to them. So three practical applications from that. Make sure whoever you call to be your next pastor is well-trained and has deep convictions about the proper way to interpret the Bible. Number two, maintain FCC's elder qualification process. Never let it become a popularity contest. Never. And number three, when an elder or a pastor challenges or corrects some popular idea or teaching, listen to them like you would to your flight instructor. He's just trying to keep you alive. And finally, he says, pray for us. So here's what I ask you guys to do, and I know you will. Pray for me, because I've told you my task, or at least the one I know about, is to go and gather the stories that are happening all over the world from my brother and sister pastors, elders, Bible translators, church network leaders, and tell them I don't speak one foreign language. I'm scared to death of third world cultures. 
I don't stomach strange food very well. And that's the only the part of the task that I know. I know that it's going to be much bigger than that. I just don't know what it is. Please pray for me. Second, as you've heard me talk about here for the last 30 minutes, pray for FCC's leadership. These men who serve as elders are on the enemy's, on the devil's bullseye. And don't believe for a moment that they're not. Pray for these men. Pray for this search team. Pray for their families. Pray for FCC's next pastor. Pray before he comes here. Pray when he gets here. Pray for his wife. Pray for his children. You guys have been awesome. Um, we have never been treated like many churches treat their pastors. Um, Pray for their wives and pray for their children because wives. Pray for their wife. <laughs> pray for his wife. Singular. Because she's under a tremendous amount of pressure and nobody's thinking about her. Pray for their children. Pray for strength. Pray for wisdom. Pray for courage. The world is at a historical inflection point. Everything is changing. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And now I'll close with verse 20. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, Equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Mark? Let's pray together. And now, Father, I commit this church to you. It never belonged to me in the first place. It's always belonged to you. I commit these people to you. I ask God that you would pour out your grace upon them in the coming months and years. And we trust, all, Lord, already that you have the man appointed for them. Lead them to him quickly, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.